Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. courage to stand for God and His Word in the midst of a culture that is against it. Nearly every voice around us in life says to compromise, surrender, take the easy way out, and go with the flow. And so it takes guts and it takes determination to stand for the truth of God's Word. In the early 1970s, the Iraqi government arrested a group of American students on trumped-up espionage charges. The wicked regime of Saddam Hussein wanted confessions and to elicit the desired admissions of guilt, they began torturing the students. The prisoners were told that if they confessed, they could go free. They were urged to compromise the truth and admit to a falsehood. The promise of freedom became irresistible, and one by one, as the pressures and the pain mounted, every prisoner confessed the crimes he did not commit, except one prisoner. For this one man, the torture intensified, the loneliness of isolation became unbearable, and he came close to breaking. Recounting his friend's story in the Wall Street Journal, Mark Helpern writes this, Then they announced that they were finished with his case, that he could simply confess or die. A confession lay before him as they raised the pistol to his head, cocked the hammer, and started a countdown. He had heard other executions from his cell and fully expected the same. Sign your name, he was told, and you will live. But he refused. He closed his eyes, grimaced, and prepared to die. They pulled the trigger. He heard the click. He thought he was dead. The gun, however, had not been loaded. Helpern's friend was eventually released. He discovered afterwards that every other prisoner who had confessed was hanged in the public square. Only he survived. Compromise often represents a far greater risk than courage. Our decisions and our attitudes and behavior are determined by either external pressure on us or internal faith, character, and principle. And there is a battle and there's a struggle going on all the time in our lives between these two conflicting items. Do we do what we do, and do we say what we say? Do we act the way we act because we have internal convictions about it, or because we feel outside pressure from the world around us to do the same things that they do? This world needs believers who function on internal principle based on faith and conviction in the Word of God and devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be people like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who take a stand and remain faithful to God no matter the cost. Daniel chapter 3 verses 1 to 7 read, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, 
and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the princes, the governors, and captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, lyre, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. And whoso falleth not down, and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Therefore at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, lyre, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon where these three Hebrew young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, had been taken captive, along with all that was left of the nation of Judah. In chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar had had a dream of an enormously large statue of a man. The image was composed of four different metals. The head was fashioned from pure gold. The chest and the arms were made of silver. The belly and the thighs were made of bronze. The legs of iron with iron and clay mixed in the feet. The metals decrease in value and glory from the top to the bottom. Daniel interpreted the dream and told Nebuchadnezzar that he is the head of gold. The rest of the image pictured other kingdoms which would succeed Babylon in power. We now know that those worldwide empires would be Media Persia and the arms, then Greece in the belly and the thighs, and then the Roman Empire and the legs, and finally in the future, the feet, the future worldwide empire of the Antichrist. Some years later, as a result of his dream and being identified as the head of gold and having a significant role in history, King Nebuchadnezzar ordered an image of gold to be built. The word image in the original speaks of an image in human likeness. Nebuchadnezzar makes the image after the dream that he had had. The statue was not like the ones that you see in the middle of a public park or at a sports arena from from some player from the past. Verse 1 says it was 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. So its dimensions were 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. It was a skinny looking man, a distorted human figure, and an unbalanced statue. And it was an unbalanced statue portraying an unbalanced man. Instead of the image having just a head of gold, as in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, In his pride, Nebuchadnezzar decided to make this massive statue all gold to his own glory. It's likely that Nebuchadnezzar was defying his dream and didn't believe that his kingdom could or would ever fall 
to an inferior silver kingdom as Daniel told him that it would. The image was built and set up in an open, flat plain near the city of Babylon. Its great height and being overlaid in gold, shimmering in the sun, that had to have made it an awesome and imposing sight, and it would have also made it visible for miles and miles. The image symbolized Nebuchadnezzar and his glorious golden empire embodied into one reality, and he wanted everyone to bow down and worship him and his kingdom. A guest list consisting of the cream of the crop of Babylonian society was prepared. Verses 2 to 3 speak of the gathering and arrival of princes, governors, judges, treasurers, military commanders, civil administrators, advisors, rulers, and officials from all over the Babylonian kingdom who then came to the dedication of the image. Everyone accepted the invitation to come. And the invitation was more like, come or else. What you have here is a great mass of intimidated people from all over the world who are just following along with the majority and those around them, not wanting to rock the boat. The Apostle Paul talks about the course of this world in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Many often are intimidated by the powerful course and the pressure of this world to conform to its ways and its beliefs or face the consequences if they don't. And so they just follow along. Paul further explains in Ephesians 2.2 that to follow the course of this world is to walk according to the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan himself the God of this world. Believers are called to follow the Lord, no matter the consequence. We are to take a stand and walk according to His ways, His will, His truth, His instruction found for us in His Word. No matter what the world says, no matter what it thinks and what it does, or how it intimidates. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. Revelation, Volume 1, is a hardcover 208-page commentary written by Pastor Paul M. Sadler and covers Revelation 1-1 through 617. The world has always had an insatiable desire to know the future. We are thankful that God has hidden all future events from mankind, except for those He has chosen to reveal to us concerning things to come, which are spiritually discerned. The purpose of this volume is to dispel the notion that the church, the body of Christ, is the subject of the first four chapters of the book of Revelation. With God's help, this book presents a bird's-eye view of what lies ahead. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750. 
or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. At the dedication recorded in verses 4 through 7, an edict was read by a herald with a very loud voice, and it rang through the plain for all to hear. Seeking to create absolute submission to his political and religious authority in the kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar demanded worship of his image at the dedication. They were told that at the moment when they heard the royal orchestra, if you will, and this musical ensemble of both wind and stringed instruments, when it began playing, they were all commanded by the king to immediately fall down and worship the image. The herald then told them that failure to comply constituted an act of treason. It was to stand in opposition to the greatness of Nebuchadnezzar, and thus it would result in certain and sudden death within the hour in a blazing furnace of fire. So bottom line, the options were worship or burn. Following this, the royal orchestra began playing, and the crowd that is estimated to have been as many as 300,000 people from all the vast empire of Babylon, all of them, when that music started, hit the dust and worshiped that image. All but three, that is. Three didn't go down. Three took a stand. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were probably about 20 years of age at this time. This is tremendous conviction for men so young. This account forces each of us to take stock of ourselves and ask ourselves self-probing questions. Will we stand when the majority falls and lives like the world around them? When they compromise and turn from what is clearly right and accept and do what is clearly wrong? Will we stand when 300,000 fall down and deny the inspiration, truth, and authority of God's Word? Will we stand when 300,000, as it were, turn and reject Jesus Christ and who He is as God, as Lord, and the only Savior? Will we stand when the majority falls down and worships man's wisdom and denies the wisdom of God's Word and regards it as foolishness? And will we take a stand in the church when the majority in the church falls down and denies God's message of grace for today, revealed by the risen Lord Jesus Christ to the Apostle Paul for the body of Christ in this age of grace? Do we have that kind of courage like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to not follow the majority? Nebuchadnezzar ruled over a vast empire and he decided to unify his empire by bringing it together religiously and have everyone bow down at once before his image. But it's important to know that this account foreshadows an event in the future as things in the Old Testament often do. During the tribulation period, 
the Antichrist is going to do the exact same thing. At the midway point of the seven-year tribulation, the Antichrist will set up an image in the temple in Jerusalem, an image which supernaturally comes to life. Any who do not worship this idol in that day are to be slain. Revelation 13, verses 14 through 15 read, that they should make an image to the beast, which is the Antichrist, and he had power to give life unto the image, that the image of the beast should speak, and cause that as many as would not worship the image should be killed. Daniel chapter 3, verses 8 to 13 read, Wherefore at that time certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, lyre, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. And Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they brought these men before the king. Certain Chaldeans, it says in verse 8, uh, which were advisors of the king. They come to Nebuchadnezzar after the bowing down of everyone to the image. And these guys res- resented the high positions held by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. After the music played, they come to Nebuchadnezzar and accuse the Jews. And it says there, and that word accused in verse 8 means to devour, to tear in pieces. It's not a legal term like making an accusation in court. It's a malicious, hating desire to tear someone to shreds. Out of their envy, they accuse the Jews, hoping to have the worst done to them. Hypocritically, they speak to the king as if they were defending them. They accuse the Jews as if they were really concerned about aiding the king and finding out if everybody had obeyed. In verse 9, they kowtow to the king and they say, O king, live forever. It makes you want to roll your eyes. In verses 10 through 11, we read how they remind him that he had ordered everyone to bow down at the sound of the music and whoever did not do that should be cast into the fiery furnace. In verse 12, they reveal the real issue behind their accusation where it says, they, they said, there are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. That's what's really eating at these guys, that these captive Hebrews would be given such a high-ranking place in the government of Babylon. Slaves, imported hostages, foreigners, and you've made rulers out of them, and they rule over us. That's what's really bothering them. They really didn't care whether they bowed or not. 
Proverbs 14.30 says, A sound heart is the life of the flesh, but envy the rottenness of the bones. The Chaldeans tell the king of their act of treason. They make three accusations against the three men. They tell them they have not regarded you, or they haven't respected you, or responded to your direct command. Secondly, they tell them they refuse to serve or worship your or any of the Babylonian gods. And third, that they did not worship the image which you commanded to be set up. And this enrages King Nebuchadnezzar. And in his fury, he orders that these three Hebrew young men appear before him. And immediately, they are brought before the king. Daniel 3, verses 14 to 18 read, Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, lyre, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew the law of God regarding idolatry, and they knew it was wrong to set up graven images and to bow down to them. Exodus 20, verses 4 and 5 read, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them. Knowing what God's word said, knowing its authority over their lives, living by it with faith and conviction, in their minds, for these three men, there was no option. They knew what God said about bowing down to images. They knew that it was unacceptable in the sight of God. They believed the Word of God and they obeyed the Word of God. And they put the Word of God first. Almost in unbelief, the king asks them himself, Is it true? And because of the high esteem he held these three young men, Nebuchadnezzar even gives them a second chance to obey. He tells them that he could strike up the band again, and if they bowed, then they would be delivered, and all would be, as that verse says, well. But in his pride, feeling himself to be above all, Nebuchadnezzar goes further and too far when he claims that not even God could circumvent his authority and be able to deliver them out of his hands if they disobeyed. He goes to the point in his pride of actually pitting himself against God and pitting his 
weak and puny power against the power of Almighty God. And when you pitch yourself against the eternal, infinite God, you've met your match. And Nebuchadnezzar meets his match in this chapter. As Job 33.12 says, But man often forgets God is greater than man. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego speak, they don't give him all the long-live-the-king junk like the Chaldeans did. They simply say, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. This basically means we don't have anything to say. It isn't arrogant. There was just nothing to say. They didn't deny their guilt. It's like they were saying, we have nothing to say to you by way of denial. And we have nothing to say to you by way of of an explanation which wouldn't make a difference anyway. And we just are not concerned about giving you an answer at all. We're standing. We're not bowing. And that's just the way it is. They had faithfully served Nebuchadnezzar as far as they could. This was too far. And then comes two uh, beautiful verses. It becomes a true, sublime, beautiful statement of faith in God in verse 17, where they say, Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And He will deliver us out of Thine hand, O King. But those next three words, But if not, Be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. End of speech. No rationalization. No dialogue. No, could we bend down part, halfway, (laughs) some of the way? None of that. It's just, we don't have any defense. We have absolutely nothing to say except our God, whom we serve, is greater than you. And he can deliver us out of your burning, fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow. Even if God did not grant their deliverance, they had faith in knowing that God is still good. That God is always good. And God does what is right. And that's courageous faith. Obeying God was more important than life to them. Their testimony was unwavering and their faith holds true here in such a tough moment. They had been taught the Word of God and their conviction in their hearts based on the truth of God led to a decisive response. They did not change their internal convictions on the basis of an external pressure or circumstance. And they would not compromise no matter what that external pressure was. And that's virtue. And that's integrity. And it wasn't dependent on whether or not they got their miracle. They would accept God's will even if it meant death rather than bow to an idol. And God calls each of us to an uncompromising commitment to Him. He wants us to take a stand for Him. In Exodus 32.26, Moses asked the camp of Israel, Who is on the Lord's side? How about you? How would you answer that question? If the world ever needed believers who stand strong on the Lord's side, it's right now. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. 
We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.